Why do we do the things we do? In this episode, I sit down with the sagely Tim Kenti, a yogi, spiritual healer and coach. The main topic today will be the issue of spiritual bypassing. Hello yogi, welcome to my podcast. I'm Aiko and on this show we explore ways to put spiritual theory into sustainable practice. Welcome Tim Kenty to my show. Thank you so much for coming. I'm really honored to have you here. And would you like to introduce a little bit yourself for those who don't know you? Um, yeah, sure. Well, I'll keep it brief. Just simply, I would say um, where I'm coming from, uh, what I would share is based on 20 years of training in the bhakti yoga tradition. And I live for about 10 years based in India as a brahmachari monk. And I've also spent about three years down in South America um, training in shamanism, in traditional healing of consciousness. And also in my younger times, I had some very strong influence of mystic Christianity and mystical prayer. And I've basically, I've dedicated my life to studying comparative religion and, you know, what is above all things, the integration of nature and spirit, what makes a sacred human being, even while we're here on this earth, how can we be sacred now, rather than living with an expectation of something after we die or living a spiritual path in such a way that's really about escaping the challenge of being alive now. How do you become a sacred man or sacred woman? And that's, that's where I'm coming from. That's most of who I am is mm. my dedication. That's what I'm dedicated to. And above all things for me, it's about um, the divine feminine is the most urgently needed medicine um, mm. collectively and personally one way or another, um, to heal the relation with her will heal the relation with everything is my most profound conviction and dedication. Thank you so much for sharing that. So let's dive in. In yoga and meditation circles, there is a term called spiritual bypassing. That's when we engage in spiritual practices as an escape from things we need to deal with. Can you explain this term a little bit closer? Such a fantastic and necessary question. <laughs> um, this is this is like a, a dialogue that should begin and mm. and continue, you know. But we can touch a little bit now to spark Thank you you. Know, people's thought process. Spiritual bypassing. I mean, immediately what comes to mind is like two ways to see it. Spiritual bypassing is like bypassing the spiritual altogether. <laughs> we don't need something beyond our perception. We bypass that. We'll work it out with uh, either science and technology or, you know, a philosophy that reduces everything to voidism. There's no spirit. There's no, no thing, no object to get your head caught up on. You know, just bypass the spiritual, which can be atheism, nihilism, uh, you know, contemporary scienceism. One way is you just completely bypass spirit. Like, I don't need that. I'm going to go forward with my life and my everything without um, giving respect and attention to the spiritual reality, what's imperceptible. That's one thing. That's, I think that's a, a, one, of, one mortal mistake hmm. is spiritual. By, bypassing the spiritual, you end up with um, 
a mortally wounded culture mm. that cannot um, but like collapse onto itself in a nihilistic kind of self-destruction, which is what we're seeing. Yeah. And on the other side, I think more what the, the term is, the way it is discussed is uh, more often spiritual bypassing is like jumping steps or in the name of spirituality, bypassing the real feet on the earth work that has to be done, the healing work, the repairing of integrity, uh, the dedication to truth as it is unfolding in real time in the present and not something that was said thousands of years ago and that you'll only be able to prove after you're dead, but then you like cut out the whole middle part, which is where you're living. Mm. <laughs> I think that it's a really important discussion because it's like the path of, of just truth seeking is very narrow and few are they who find it, says Jesus. The mm. path to life is narrow and, and few are they who find it. And there's two big ways you can go off. And I think that this spiritual bypassing can refer to both ways that you can check yourself if you're going off the quest and the integrity of truth. Either you bypass the spiritual, uh, you don't need it, or in the name of spirituality, you bypass the uh, the natural. Either way, it's not going to work. And it's probably going to augment sickness, psycho-emotional and cultural um, mortality. And in that kind of space of avoiding one side of the truth or the other, I doubt that a person will ever realize what the spiritual is. So now, if you don't mind, let's consider two extremes. The hardline believer would say there is no such thing as spiritual bypassing because spirituality is the only solution to any problem. On the other hand, the hardline atheist will say that the idea of spirituality in itself is nothing but but bypassing. They would say that you're simply afraid of death, so you need to imagine that there is a soul and an afterlife to console yourself. What is your advice to the open-minded person in between who has heard both arguments? Yeah, it's again, it's super relevant because there's a, a both arguments scenario to a lot of things these days. You know, Take the vaccine is the responsible thing. No, don't take the vaccine. That's the responsible thing. You know, there's, yeah, yeah in America where I'm from, there was just like last year was on fire because of like black and white race issues and then red yes. and blue, like political issues. Like I've never seen such manifest mm. um, division. You know, you have people for their, the side that they choose storming the white house for example or yeah, this was you know there's crazy on yeah and both mm -hmm. each each side like with just the red and blue like democrats and republicans for example both side thinks the other is completely recklessly off course of reality they both really practically violently it's like we're on the cusp of civil war in america because of this both sides issue yeah. and so it's the underlying dynamic that appears also in the question as you're framing it, like the hardline believers and the mm -hmm. hardline atheists. Like there's some people that are fanatical spiritualists and there are some people that are fanatical materialists. Yeah. And I think both of them are kind of rowing the same boat to the edge of the waterfall together. They're like 
two sides, like these old Viking ships where everybody's rowing, but you've got the guys on the left and the guys on the right. But what they're rowing, they're putting their energy into is conflict and division. Mm. It's driving them together. <laughs> what they are in together is self-destruction. You are all going to go off the edge together while you're in the same boat, but shouting at each other across the planks, you know, the left side, the right side, but you're both actually, if you back up, zoom out, you'd see that they're both rowing for the edge, the end of harmony, the end of reconciliation, mm. the end of wholeness, the end of family among human beings. Like it's augmenting. So either you say it's Republicans and Democrats, or you say it's vaccine and not vaccine, or you say it's um, spirituality and atheism, materialism. Uh, but the point is, it's not to take sides in a divided reality, it's to take the side of healing. Mm -hmm. And just desire, what do you want? Do you want to be part of reconciling? It doesn't mean we're just going to like, hold hands in kumbaya, and we're going to, you know, <laughs> just hope uh, with our fingers crossed for reconciliation but it's a commitment you decide i don't want to take sides that divides the family divides also nature and spirit i don't want to be part of that either that it's all spirituality and it's god and so like we don't care if the last tree falls you know how do you take a position as a human being as a peacemaker mm. and not a uh, kumbaya fantasy utopia projector because that's also escapism like the ostrich that sticks its head in the sand is some people are so well wishing and so sentimental about it that they're not available for the action that needs to be taken so the individual you can only give you can only transmit what you have so if the individual is divided if an individual a yogi yoga means unite it comes from yugala actually yugala means the couple like yin and yang, God and goddess, heaven and earth, the couple of life from which everything has come, our highest uh, perfection would be to serve the union of the divine couple. However, wherever they are manifest, you know, for the bhakti yogis, like yesterday was the holy day of Ram, Ram Navami. So bhaktas in India, there are millions and millions of people that they just, they adore the supreme absolute truth as the king and queen, Sita and Ram. And their life, like uh, Hanuman, you see Hanuman in the stories. Um, I reckon there's some yogis who are listening to this who might know the story. But the, Hanuman opens his chest and shows, my heart is the divine couple, the yugala. And that's a yogi. A yogi is a person who is empathically united to the yugala. Yoga means linking or connecting. But connecting what? You know, Is it just you and like some abstract light? Or is it starts with the original masculine and feminine, you know, the push and pull of the lovers who are the truth. And all of this that expands from the bhakti yogi's perspective, everything that exists is the radiance, this extremely sophisticated cosmic manifestation is the radiance of the combination of the yugala. And there's, there's a verse in the, there's a scripture in India called the Rasolas Tantra. Tantras are kind of the books of magic or the books of like philosophical mysticism. Tantra doesn't just mean like sexy stuff. Tantra means mysticism. It's all it really means. Mm. And there's a verse where Shiva, he says, Radha Krishna Param Brahma. That Radha Krishna, the divine lovers, they are Param Brahma, great spirit. Prakrite Purushat Param. They are the supreme yin and yang. Mm. 
Jayate Yogi Bir Nityam Radha Krishna Mayam Jagat. That the yogis, those who are dedicated to Yugala, to the connection of the two, Jayate Yogi Bir Nityam. The yogis are the ones who are Nityam, always Jayate, meditating on this. That the Supreme Truth is a couple being. That God is masculine, feminine, nature, spirit, one way or other. It's the two of them. It's two and one. That's what makes a yogi. And the, Shiva says, who's the first yogi? Dayate yogi bir nityam radha krishna mayam jagat. That the yogis, they see the whole jagat, the whole creation, radha krishna mayam. It's full of the divine couple. All that's going on. It's like old Taoists. The Taoists see through the lens of yin and yang, heaven and earth, the push and pull of life, and like when is it time to act, and when is it time to retreat, and everything, the Taoists, is following a principle of yoga, of the yugal, the two, how the two are dancing together in everything, mm -hmm. down to the quantum level, down to your own androgyne nature as like logical and sentiment, you know, mystical and practical, that's also yoga. So the real vision of yoga is it's about bringing the couple together and it's the cosmic couple and it's the internal polarity of the being. And then when those things are clear between human beings, there can be dynamics. You don't have to be lovers with someone to just between two living beings enter into the miracle of the magic of participating in yoga because yoga is fundamentally about relationship. Yoga is not something that any individual does individually. It's not. Yoga means bonding together. It means relationship. And that relationship, all relationships are guided by watching first the primordial relationship of God and goddess, of nature and spirit. So the hardline, as you say, the hardline spiritualists mm -hmm. and then the hardline materialists, the people who are taking one side or the other, this is like a, a manifest symptom of a division in the heart that you don't understand this all of this is about the yugala. Life is yoga. And we need to, we are healthy and we create healing by being at service to the yugala, mm. to the polarity. And then it will appear everywhere in our life. So the answer is not to take one side or the other, red or blue or vaccine or not vaccine or, you know, science or religion. Yeah. It's to be a whole person. And to be a whole person means you have to have the vision about how everything is whole, you know, Om Purna Madaha Purna Midam. From the complete whole, everything that has expanded from the whole has like the DNA of wholeness. Mm. But the same Vedas that are telling us that the origin of everything, the source is Purnam, it's complete and perfect. And everything that's come from the source has the DNA. It's like a little expansion. So we're also complete and perfect. But we have to learn how to match our internal structure with the original complete and perfect, which is one and different, one principle of truth that is masculine and feminine, God and goddess. If we look to that by bhakti yoga, you know, I think that that's where the healing is for all the divisions in the world. And how you do that? <laughs> <laughs> Start by wanting to, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I, People believe, I like I saw a video the other day, and I don't, I'm not promoting either vaccine or not vaccine, for example. Mm. I'm not taking sides because my side is about reconciliation. Mm. Uh, you know, that's my side. <laughs> my side is I'm on everybody's side. <laughs> so I'm not promoting vaccine or not vaccine. But I saw a guy who was presenting how, you know, uh, 
this vaccine is so experimental and it was so rushed and there's no tests and then people who take it are going to become dangerous for people who don't take it because they're going to shed like vaccine stuff and and the guy was saying like we've been really screwed by um the big pharma companies who we know they have a lot to gain you know by moving the human beings like pawns it's not a stretch of like conspiracy theory fundamental you know mm-hmm. fanaticism to think like yeah big pharma doesn't have our real best interests in mind that's not unreasonable to think but leave that as at least one hypothesis on the table and so but his vision was like they've really screwed us and that humanity may go extinct because of what's going on now and and he's mm-hmm. like so everybody just try to build your immune system and i was like i left it and it's like his vision was so sick about these guys have taken mm-hmm. all of your power away from you and your you and your whole species is doomed because of these guys and he had not one word of hope about it mm-hmm. not one word of hope that there's meaning to life it's like you think that even if it's true everything he said but the the mood that he transmitted was hopelessness and disempowerment and whether that's true or not he's just given a message to anyone who lets it in to their psyche and affect them that everything is done already and we've been screwed and we have someone else to blame we're like it's a, this enormous victim situation and in that situation like because i believe in nature and spirit i can turn to spirit you know my training in india my training in mystical prayer my own subjective experience of reality that shows me there's something so amazing mm. available when i just turn to look for it and give honor to it and it just lifts me above all of this fear and then when i'm lifted above the fear i can think practically about what i'm going to do while i'm on the earth that i can be part of making a a useful response because i don't want to practice or promote a spirituality that's just about how do you disconnect from fear of death and then do nothing and wait <laughs> yeah. it's like how do you take the strategically necessary position of autonomous uh freedom and happiness in the midst of chaos you need to have a platform to stand on where you feel great mm. and fearless and from that place your brain works better and mm. you can think about practically what to do because if you don't take spirituality into it i don't see how a person you're just struggling so hard by your independent logic to like you end up like this guy with this hopeless message that there's no mm. one to help us there's nothing beyond what we see and that it's a chaos that human beings in their stupidity could accidentally create a virus and then accidentally create a bad vaccine and kill themselves yeah. like if you think that life is that fragile that mm. there's no plan that there's no intelligence that there's no love and protection and guidance you're going to live a very dark life mm. and it's not to like say god is real and it's not to preach it's like even if i found out that god was not real and that we all came from chemicals even if that's what the final conclusion you know if it was totally objective and when i die i realize like as my brain is coming loose from its associations of my ego and everything and i realize at the last moment yeah actually we're all just made of chemicals and all this human religion and philosophy and art and everything is just some kind of weird fluke of the chemistry of a universe that we don't understand but there's no god and there's no soul even if that's what i saw at the last moment i would look back and be so happy that i still lived for radha that i still lived for the goddess and for god like i would still want to live for that idea that idea is so amazing that it's the subjective reality that i choose because it also makes me a better person 
and I'm okay with saying, I can't prove that there's God. I know what experience I've had and what it does for me and what it does through me for my friends. I'm a better person. I can bring beauty to this world and to my friends because of what I think about. And when I think about, you know, a vision of God as a divine couple that's been passed down for thousands of years, that the most brilliant philosophers and poets that I've ever encountered exploring all that humanity has done, the most beautiful philosopher I've ever seen is Rupa Goswami. And even if it all turns out that it's chaos and chemicals, I would still want to live my brief lifespan thinking um, with uh, inspiration from the thoughts of this person or the, or the lineage, the ancient lineage that flows before and behind him, for example. So it's like we really don't know objectively. It's for me, it's, it's time to release the unreasonable expectation that we can have an objective understanding, even about the vaccine, even about reality, even if there's God. I understand God, not objectively, but super subjectively. Yeah. And that understanding is that subjective reality is reality for me. And I've seen it change things around me. I've seen it change my relationships. I've seen it change my health. I've seen it have effect. What you think about has effect. So there's a way without being fanatical to reconcile nature and spirit that makes everything better, that turns on the highest human potential without us having to fight about which religion is right or fight about which path of yoga or like personalism or impersonalism, Advaita or Bhakti, like there's no need to fight. Yeah. There's a, it's not that hard to find. Yeah. And it just starts for me with this one thing is like, give your life to try to understand both nature and spirit and how they're related as friends, as a couple reality, nature and spirit. If people are interested in that, if they have a natural instinct and attraction, I want to go deeper in spirit and I want to go deeper in being part of nature they are going to have a great life and they're going to be part of a solution if a solution is possible to the like mass extinction that we're facing. If it's possible, it's going to be possible through human beings whose best creative thought is turned on because they've reconciled the polarity of life in themselves by embracing both nature and spirit as precious and necessary. That's very beautiful. That's yoga, man. Yoga is yes. awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I can relate very much with what you said. Also, you know, I have two brothers, two half-brothers, and their father is Muslim. Mm. And I'm half Italian and half Japanese. I was baptized as a Shintoist and grew oh, wow. up yes, and grew up in Italy, uh, which is a very Christian country. And now I'm following Bhakti Yoga. So mm. all my wow. family, it's a big mix. <laughs> But I never heard inside my family anyone talking bad or about any other religion. Like, no one ever criticized Muslims, no one ever criticized Christians, no one ever criticized Shintoism. My mom is Buddhist. Mm. She got initiation from the Dalai Lama. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and um, we all respect each other and love each other, you know? And when I go outside, sometimes I I hear some people like criticizing very badly, like Muslim, for example. And I really don't understand that. <laughs> It, it's totally out of my mind. Like, I can understand there is times and circumstances in the past that 
some events happen in India, for example, where, you know, some population behave in a certain way, but still, you know, I why to be attached to that and why not just like you say, like focus on, on your path and, and do yoga. Yeah, it's amazing uh power that human beings have, like like even just as an archetypal story. Mm. You know, Adam and Eve, the creation of humanity. You know, as I understand it, I don't know if it's directly in the Bible or if it's like a commentary that came later, but it was like there's Adam and Eve, the first human beings. Everything is fresh and in total balance. And they didn't create, they were the last thing that was created. You know, there was heaven and earth before and there were stars and there was water and fish and all kinds of stuff. And then there's human beings. And the human beings are not, the creators but they're different from the rest of the creation in that they can tell a story about it mm. you know there's this this thing that has you can't even explain it it's a tiger we would say it's a tiger mm. it's a big cat that's orange with black stripes and everything but there was no word cat and there was no orange and there was no stripes and there was no that thing already existed because god created mm. it but it was adam and eve who have to say like that's a tiger mm. he has stripes he's orange and black He's a feline. Like all of that identity, the story is created by the human beings. Exactly. The this actual stuff is here, but what it means and what it's called and what it's the story, the interpretation of it is how we are co-creators. We're not like mm. going to manifest even one mosquito. You can't manifest anything by yourself. You know, people say, I have meditated and I manifested wealth. It's like, no, that wealth already existed <laughs> and your brain existed and your intelligence existed and all the ingredients that make up whatever happens existed before you were born, yeah. you know, and you couldn't do even the electricity that runs your like synapses and stuff you didn't create, you know, so what did you create? But you can call it something. Mm. You can say what it is. And that's why, you know, the language now is a bit sexist, but they always called humanity like mankind. Yeah. And then there's history, and that means his story. This is humanity telling their own story. Mm. So this is our power. And what story we tell about things is what will the direction that we're choosing. So someone chooses a story that like, yeah, you know, I was born in India and the Muslims, they invaded and they raped my grandmothers and mm. they raped, you know, all this stuff. And they're telling a story about how those are enemies. But you could tell another story that these are other living beings are my family and they have a different sacred tradition and we all got caught up in something really tragic and now it's over thank god and we can do something mm -hmm. else but people are telling a story that this is the enemy still over something tragic that happened for both sides you know just in that situation that when when there was the they divided pakistan from india mm. you know it's like they split off like all the Muslims need to have their own country. It was so such a hard division that they split their nation in two parts so that they wouldn't have to see each other's face. And as the Muslim refugees were leaving India to go to now what's Pakistan, they were, you know, Indian guys, Hindus would get on the train and murder everyone on the train, just kill women, children, families, everyone. They were so angry. They're, they're trying to go to their own place, but there was so much hatred and anger. The Hindus would get on the train murder everyone on the train till when the doors opened, it was like flowing with blood. And then the Muslims would do the same thing to the Hindus when they were trying to leave Pakistan to go to India. There was mass murder, women, children, everything. 
each one was trying just to kill the other one as the other one is like, I'm just trying to leave. I'm yeah. just trying to leave and live my life on the other side. We can't work it out together. I'm just trying to cross this false border that we've created so that we can, you know, we can't reconcile. So we have to divide. Mm -hmm. And even that there was so much a story. This is the enemy. It's like, okay, you can't work it out. So like Robert Frost says, good fences make good neighbors. They mm -hmm. had to separate. But even still, the story was so strong that people who were going with their families one way or the other, just to be away from the conflict, were still seen as an enemy and a threat that needed to be murdered. Just one case of humanity losing it. Yeah. And it's what story that we tell. And that's the thing we have to tell now is the story that we're telling like... Everyone who doesn't want to get vaccinated is some crazy conspiracist hippie who's putting humanity in danger. Or is a story we're telling that everyone who's taking the vaccine is a brainwashed follower and they're going to shed virus and kill the rest of us. Is the story that we're telling is that we're hopelessly divided and there's no way to reconcile it. Because if we tell that story, it becomes impossible. As soon as you say it's impossible, you shut the door of your possibility to participate in another possibility. So we're not creating this world or creating anything, but we are co-creators in that we create the story. What does it mean? And even you don't have to know, well, it says in the Bible, therefore it's going to be like this. You don't know what's going to be because some other book says something else. You don't know objectively what's going to happen, but you can tell the story of what you hope for. Mm. And then you'll be part of manifesting mm. what you hope for. And whether it happens or it doesn't happen, at least when you die, before you find out if there really is spirit or it's all just chemicals <laughs> at the last moment, mm -hmm. you'll have one moment of clean peace that I lived a story that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. A story of healing, a story of love and honor for nature and spirit and other living beings that goes beyond just being caught up in a tidal wave of division. I chose to be above the tidal wave of division. I chose whether I could do it or not, but I chose in my own life to live as a healer, as a peacemaker, as a devotee of nature and spirit, mm -hmm. as a friend to all living beings, I chose to live like that. And whatever happens after I die, we'll see. But I, that last second, let me rest in the peace that I told the story and I lived the story that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. And that's all we can hope for objectively because we don't know what's coming. Yeah, that's very beautiful. And kind of answer the last question I wanted to ask you, which kind of advice you have for those people who want to enter this path of yoga, they want to make peace, like you said, which kind of advice you have in a daily day-to-day day -day life without becoming too much fanatic, without forgetting about it? One of my heroes is um, the author Amanda Scott. She mm. wrote uh, a book of historic, four books of historical fiction about uh, the ancient British Celts resisting mm the Roman occupation in like the year 60 AD. Mm. And it's led by the Boudicca, the victory bringer, who uh, was like the queen of the Celts of uh, this particular, it's all history, you know, it's not some fantasy book. It's a fictional telling, but it's real history about mm. uh, um, people who were living a life completely dedicated to the land where they lived and to their gods and ancestors, to spirit. So nature and spirit, how human beings, it's one example out of many around the world of how people used to really live in integrity of nature and spirit and how another force, a new kind of perversion of human potential uh, came as colonization. The Roman occupation came to just bulldoze over their culture and own everything, which right away is like 
that is born from the negation of the feminine. The land has no identity. We're going to make this land, this Celtic land, Roman. That's yeah. already saying like the masculine bulldozes the feminine. There's no mm-hmm. such thing as feminine identity. The land has no identity and no right to speak for itself. So she's a hero of mine, Amanda Scott. Mm-hmm. And she's a shaman uh, and a teacher and stuff. And um, one, I saw one thing on her website where she says, the smallest thing you can do to start, you know, to be part of a possibility of e- avoiding the mass extinction that's already underway that could easily include the human beings that have provoked it is it is such a critical moment in history that we're in and she said the only thing you need to do to start to be part of the solution is care about something beyond yourself mm. <laughs> and it's really that it's yeah. it's egocentrism is the problem we need mm. to start living a life of devotion you know so devotion and trying to extend that, like, how do I live a holistic life of devotion? There's some people that they're devoted to the God of their religion, but they're not devoted to the land where they live, or they're not devoted to the human family as a whole. They're really spiritual people, but they're devoted to the God of their religion. And, you know, one way or another, they think this is the only thing that humanity needs, and they don't care what other religions say, or what other philosophy they think this is the answer and my they think that that's how they express their need to be part of the human family is by praying that everyone will accept the salvation of their path that's no that's actually just one piece okay you have devotion to your tradition and we should have i think also part of our identity is to honor your ancestors your bloodline your heritage but also at some point you need to honor a tradition if you're a spiritualist like you it's a pride to be part of a lineage you know a uh, uh, a cosmovision, a way and a taste for how to relate with life, but one that doesn't exclude or like demonize others, ideally. But to be, you know, to care about something beyond yourself is the the medicine, the cure for the egocentrism that makes us into like a sucking void. Mm. You know, there's a little switch deep in our heart that is has two settings, giver and taker. Mm. And we're born into a culture where we're trained from the beginning that it's just set. And it's at a deep place. It's at a subconscious place that you wouldn't notice it, you know, unless you went digging down there in your heart. You wouldn't notice that there's a little switch that is flipped to the taker setting. And that makes you a sucking void, (laughs) you know. But if you could flip that to giver, to care about something beyond yourself, like what I want is to give. I want to be part of what I need is not to be loved, like St. Francis, no? Let me not seek to be understood, but to understand. Not to be forgiven, but to forgive. Not to be loved, but to love. Like, that is a human set appropriately to their proper original setting. Giver. So if you can, as holistically as a person can do it, how can you be a giver to the land where you live? How can you be a giver to the spiritual truth beyond time? however you need to understand it, but something beyond time and your body, you know, even how can you be a giver and care about um, your descendants and your ancestors and the other human beings that live around you and the species and the future generations, not just of your bloodline, but of human potential. If the more that you just try to care and serve and you realize that we were trained by, uh, our culture, especially capitalist, uh, uh, you know, gaining, 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 win, make more, make more money so you can get more stuff, so you can enjoy more. The value system under that is all just about comfort and convenience. 
people are living their whole life do anything just for comfort and convenience. Mm. It's complete egocentrism. Okay, I want also to take care of my my family, my wife and my kids, but it's just because you'll be more comfortable if you feel like you're a good provider. Mm. You know, it's extended egocentrism. So comfort and convenience actually contradicts human destiny and potential. We're not here to live for our comfort and convenience. We're here to make sacrifice. We're here to live but a festival sacrifice you know it's not we're here all to be like martyrs we're here to be noble to be creative noble givers who care about something more than ourselves who care about everything i care about god i care about the world that god created i care about the people that live on the world i care you have to care about all of it and you put yourself uh last but not in the sense of altruistic self-negation You put yourself last on the list of what you're worried about because if you care about the macrocosm, the macrocosm is going to care about you and take care of you in a better way than you could if you were just trying to get your own. That's the miracle of like, that's the vision of shamanism is if you care about the directions and the cosmos and all of my relations, I do this prayer, you know, we go to sweat lodge, you know, or we go to ceremony and you're going to make to sweat and to pray all night and to make a hardcore endeavor with mm-hmm. every drop of energy you have. And you pray, you know, the Lakota say, I'm doing this for all my relations. You know, in America, you have the, the sun dancers, the Lakota, they would pierce their skin and they would bleed on the earth so that they could fast and cry and bleed and make the most complete um, expression of sincerity in front of God under the open sky. Great spirit, please see me. I'm praying for my people. Mm. You know, human being means warrior heart, means priest heart, it means healer heart. It means to care for life, for all of life, makes you a human being. And the greatest temptation that we have is to live for our own comfort and convenience because that shuts down our answer and response to what life is calling from us stand up and be noble and you're not to be a martyr it's not self-negation but when you the sh- the vision of shamanism is when you do this yoga the yoga is not just masculine and feminine it's also the the included and the inclusive you know the microcosm and the macrocosm are also friends so you're a little microcosm om purnamadaha purnamidam you're a tiny little complete imperfect microcosm mm-hmm. with the same structure of the totality and when the little microcosm dedicates to the whole macrocosm it's what they call in the andes it's called aini the natural symbiotic exchange where one takes care of the other and vice versa when the microcosm the little individual soul a little individual being dedicates to the macrocosm i care about all of it Hmm. then the macrocosm dedicates and takes care of the microcosm and that means the whole cosmos everything that exists in all the ancestors and even unborn souls. Like that's the vision of, I'm not arguing this scientifically. I'm telling you the mystical vision of Mm -hmm. shamanism. Even unborn children are praying for you and supporting you. Better people than you and I who are yet to come are praying for us. And ancestors who used to know the old ways and had real real nobility and character they are all praying for us if we pray for the macrocosm. Then you, the directions, the elements, the water, the fire, everybody. That's the thing about the Vedas and about shamanism is they both tell us that everything is someone. The wind is a person. 
the sun and the moon are persons. Mm -hmm. And you enter into a personal relationship with the macrocosm where everything is someone and you make family relation with the elements, with time itself. If you could understand the identity of time and be friends with time, you cannot imagine what that allows time to do for you in return. Yeah. To make friends with, uh, you know... <laughs> Mother Nature, you can't imagine what power rises up under your feet to hold your path. It's just about caring beyond yourself. I'm not here to live for my comfort and convenience. I'm here to take care from my little position in the weaving of life. I'm here to serve every living being. That's in Sanskrit called Das Anudas. Everyone is serving the cause of everything. Everyone, every little bumblebee is pollinating all day long out of service to the cause and the purpose. So well, to serve the servant is the perfect position of the human. Mm. So that's yoga. How do you make the reconciliation? You know, yoga is actually, yeah, it means healing. Yoga means yoking, means putting back together what's been divided, what's been injured, what's been wounded. How do you close that wound? Bring it back to wholeness. And some people think that, uh, you know, oneness, it's all one, it's all love, man. They think that that's the answer, but it's oversimplistic because if everything is one, then you're in, you know, it's a, a knee-jerk response to the, uh, the pain of duality, the pain of division and conflict. We know by instinct that the, the wound of division is not right. And so some people have a knee-jerk response and they have presumed a whole philosophy that everything is one and there's no difference, there's no duality. But if that's true, in the end, there can be no love. There can be no sentience. There's no creativity. Who will relate with who, finally, in a real way, if all is one? Oh, it's all just me. It's all just God, and I'm that, and you're that. If you come to the conclusion of that philosophy, there's nothing but emptiness. There's no diversity with which to have loving exchanges, yeah. with which to have a, a future uh, expansions. It's all just to come back to zero. So that's a, for me, it's a, I understand the, the motive, the root motive of oneness as presumed as that's medicine for division, but it's not. Oneness is not the cure for division. Complementarity is the cure for division. Mm, very beautiful. Thank you so much. I think this was a very, very wonderful end to yeah. our discussion. Thank you so much. That was great. And I really hope to do this again with you. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you so much yeah. for um for having me, for trusting me to <laughs> speak. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thanks a lot. Thank I hope this episode fulfilled its purpose of inspiring you. If you like it, feel free to share it, give a review or a rating, subscribe. And if you have any questions, please get in touch at aikoyogareiki.com. Namaste. Thank you.